1: That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again.
0: You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: In today's episode of Project Recovery... I was always the one that was going to go grab another beer or go grab a little more weed and everybody else seemed like they were kind of at their level and they were content, but I never really felt like I had that stopping point.
2: Make sure you listen to the end. Find us on Facebook at Project Recovery. We'll have that and much more coming up. Hey, welcome to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction. More importantly, it's about recovery, and it's brought to you by our friends at knowyourscript.org. A wealth of knowledge if you head on over there to knowyourscript.org, whether you're talking to yourself, your doctors, or your kids about the opioid epidemic, you can find it there at knowyourscript.org. I'm Casey Scott. That is Dr. Matt. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great. Hey, so uh you're you're still what, a couple weeks out of COVID?
3: Yeah. Yeah,
2: are you, are you think you're a long hauler, or do you think you're doing better
3: each day? I'm. I feel like I'm mostly better. Occasionally, I'll feel a little wave of that fatigue that seems unnatural. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I am almost fifty, so it could be that.
2: You know, and one of the things that happens when you get COVID is you lose your taste bud and your uh, ability to smell. Right. But you've never had the ability to smell.
3: No, I was ahead <laughs> of the game on that. I lost that when I was in my twenties, and so. Uh, <laughs> but I think I don't think that I don't think COVID affected my ability to taste things. So. All right. Yeah, so no, I'm doing good. Thanks for asking.
2: So the first part of the show, we kind of check in with each other. That's what we just did with you, and uh, now I get to tell you what's going on in the world of Casey.
3: Yeah, see money, bring it on.
2: So it's interesting because I don't plan themes for my weeks, but sometimes themes just occur. Oh, yeah? So last Sunday, we're the lovely Leslie's. She's making a Sunday dinner. Nice. What'd you make? Mexican lasagna. Oh,
3: Mexican lasagna. Yeah. Instead of Tell me about that. Instead
2: of noodles, it's tortillas. Uh
3: Uh-huh. There's
2: beans, there's meat, there's corn, there's cheese, there's some, I mean, it's just, it's amazing. That sounds really good. So afterwards, we're getting in the car, we're driving back to the house. Mm -hmm. I got all three kids in my car. And I very rarely have all three kids in the car, because my oldest can drive now, and she's got a boyfriend, and she's kind of in those teenage years. Right. So I really cherish those times when we're driving, because I get all three of them in kind of a confined space. A captive audience you yeah know? I love that too and so we're driving and I don't know how it comes up and maybe it's the music or whatever but Bowden my youngest goes dad I go yeah and it's my favorite when he goes hey dad because he says it at least 10 you know, he's times been today, thinking yeah, something hey, yeah hey dad and I just know something's good's gonna happen yeah. hey dad yeah bud um what's a buzz? He wants to know what a buzz is, okay. like like when it comes to alcohol oh, okay. and drugs. You I was know? thinking haircuts
3: for some reason. No, no, I don't know. Well,
2: well I host a podcast called Project Recovery, so yeah, I, I it makes where, a little more sense. I knew where his head was, <laughs> and he's just like, "Hey, what's a buzz? Yeah. You know?" And then he wanted to know, and then we started this open conversation. Where did
3: you hear that? I, I don't like know. Just at school, maybe get yeah. a buzz on, or or, or, yeah.
2: or something. Or no. why would you do that? Why well, you know, why drink? And you know, and maybe I said, "Well, to catch a buzz."
3: Oh yeah, yeah you
2: okay. know. And he's like, "Well, what's a buzz?" And yeah. then I had the hardest time describing what a buzz was to a 10 year old. You know, and I said, I said, yeah, that, I said, that might be really hard. I said, I, I, I guess it's, it's kind of where y- y- you feel good and you don't think and you don't really have a care in the world. Yeah. And he goes, but why would you want that? And then I had a hard time describing why you would want that.
3: Because when you get old, <laughs> life's hard.
2: But, uh, but, but a lot of people. You know, no, I know, get into it at in young, and, yeah. and 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 it got me thinking of you know the last episode we did where you know if you sat somebody down who was getting ready to try heroin for the first time and said hey it's it, it, the feeling's amazing I'm not going to lie to you the feeling's amazing. But at the end, it's going to take everything you are. Your own. life's a
3: total wreck. Do yeah.
2: you still want it? But that's not how you know. And so we we had this great conversation about alcohol, about weed, about drugs, why people do it, and, yeah. and all that other stuff. And and it was just a, it was a good conversation. And I wasn't really prepared to answer a lot of the questions. Yeah. but I did the best I could. Kind
3: of off the cuff, right? Yeah. Actually, what's really cool about that conversation, and it sounds like the way you handled it, is in the old days they uh the, the kind of the prevailing way to talk to kids about why not to use drugs and alcohol was fear-based yeah. and it wasn't true actually they would say things like oh it's horrible for you know you'll feel bad and, you know lie about you know and and some of it's true some of it's not true but there there was never an ad- addressing the reality of the fact that initially drinking or smoking weed doing drugs there's a reason that people do it and mm-hmm. it makes you feel good I think personally, and I've read some things that back this up, um, it's better to give them the full picture and say kind of like that where you say, like, listen, you know what? There is a reason people drink or there is a reason people smoke. And this it makes them feel like this for a little while. But then all this baggage, all these consequences typically come with. You know, and you and you can use yourself as an example. You like Divorce, look at look at my lost life, job, yeah. Rehab, yeah, it wrecks your health. I mean, there's all sorts of things. Accidents are more common when you're high or drunk. All these kinds of things. But if you if you hold back on telling them the, the true stuff, then guess what happens? when they go to a party and they try a drink for the first time you they're lied like to us. they're like this is awesome my dad was lying to me you know what else is he lying about yeah and then they don't figure out until they're experiencing those negative consequences that you weren't lying you were just leaving out a big part of the story
2: so that so i told you about the theme so then 2 days later my phone rings and i pick it up and it was a friend of mine that I went to college with. And uh, she's married to one of my best friends. Uh, and, and there's this group that still hangs out together and uh, you know for the past 30 some odd years. And she goes, hey, what are you doing? I go, I'm just watching NCIS because if I'm not working, that's usually what I'm doing. Really? Seeing what Gibbs is up to in the team. Sure, you got to know uh, that. And she goes, hey, um, we all got together and we were wondering if you would come and talk to our kids about the dangers of drinking and drugs. Oh, really? And I go, is there a big problem? They go, well, no, but they're at that age now where their kids are a little bit older than mine, where they're seventeen to maybe twenty-one. Yeah. yeah, and going we to just, parties, friends we, are using. Yeah, we've yeah. tried to talk to them, but they just don't think that we're cool or hip, and we don't understand. Right. But you're all over Instagram and Facebook. You've got see money action you got this, down in this. Yeah, you've got this podcast. We think they will relate to you. Would you be willing to come sit down and talk with them? And I go, you betcha. I go, but you know the thing is. I've got to be real with them because they're going to know if we're holding something back. So I got to tell them how I know you guys and that mm. I've parted with you and all this other stuff. So you guys have got to be cool with that. What did they say? They go, yeah. Real? Okay. Yeah, good. they go. Yeah, we, we, because we've tried to tell them that, and 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 and, and they've seen us at, at family parties, and like we still all get together as a, a graduating class or most of us graduated class type deal. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> we we get together, and and there's drinking involved and stuff like that. But they go, I just think it would be really good to come from somebody who's had a certain amount of success and had it all taken well, away
3: yeah i mean uh your story is maybe a little bit more interesting to them than whatever their parents would have to say
2: but i also think that i, I they know because i've been around these kids most of their lives that you know they've seen mm-hmm. both sides of it
3: they, and, they, yeah
2: and, and for me to sit down and go well this is the yeah, thing. had they
3: ever maybe seen you at your worst Oh, i'm sure they have yeah,
2: I mean not at my worst, uh, but, but but in
3: rare form. In rare form, okay.
2: Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. Where yeah. we got a little out of control. Where sure. that guy's bananas, Dad. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean. That that kind of <laughs> You're conversation. Your friend Casey
3: a little goofy. Yeah, yeah. Right. and
2: so I so I said, you bet y'all. I will sit down and talk to him. Cool. So, so, so the theme of the week is talking to our kids. And well,
3: oh, honestly, like the full picture. The so, full have picture. you gone, You haven't gone yet. I haven't so gone yet. I'll you, come back
2: and let you know. Okay. But I said, but everybody's got to be on the same page. Yeah. If you guys are lying to them. Or this is not going to work. But if I can sit down and and, and talk about it honestly.
3: Well, I I relate to that because, I mean, you get a little full disclosure with your kids. Sometimes it's maybe scary. scary. Well, it's always scary. I think it's sometimes it's embarrassment of your own behavior. You don't want to model negative things. Sometimes you just kind of want to protect them from the reality of life in certain ways. But. Non, if you don't give a full disclosure about something as important as drugs and alcohol, sex, those sorts of things, you're not doing them any favors.
2: And, I, and it takes us back to one of our uh, favorite extremists, Rob Eastman. Yeah, we love the Rob. And uh, he will tell you, I'd rather prepare my kids for a war than protect them from a war.
3: Because <laughs> chances are. it <laughs> definitely sounds like a Rob You know what statement. I mean? Chances yeah, are yeah, the yeah, war is yeah.
2: coming, whether yeah. or not. And if we're not protecting them and preparing them, then we're not doing them any service.
3: That's true, and I couldn't, I can't disagree with that. No, nope.
2: and so no. That, so I'll come back to you and let you know how that okay. goes. You want it, a full report?
3: That sounds awesome. You know, and, and, and during that whole, have kind you of, ever just as a, just you get asked to speak to big groups often? Yeah, have you ever been asked to just speak to a family or a few kids or? Uh, I I get a lot of people. Hey, will you talk to my brother?
2: Will you talk to my dad? Uh, uh, my first question is, do they want? Do me they to want to talk me, to them? Yeah. Do they know I'm going to talk to them? Yeah. And usually the answer is no. And I go, I can't do that. I can't just surprise. I get that too. I but can't surprise
3: somebody. Mental health reasons. Usually they're like, do you want to go talk to my brother? I was bipolar and won't get treatment. And I'm like, not if he won't talk to me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If,
2: if they go, if, if they call me, I'm going to go, Hey, I would love to sit down and pick your brain. Let's do this. Yeah. But if I'm going to just show up at lunch.
3: I think that's one of the cool things, Kate. I don't, I don't want to like get your head any bigger because your hat's on, you know, but, um, one of the things I have admired about you in recovery, and this was, this is you before as well, but like you're always willing to give of your time to help somebody out. And and I think in recovery, that's been uh, invaluable to so many people.
2: But the the truth is, it helps me more than it helps them so
3: much. Well, it, I think we could stop comparing that because it helps you tremendously and it helps them tremendously. Yeah. It's just different, you know.
2: Well, the story we have for you today is an amazing story. I met this guy two weeks ago at that gala that I attended and spoke at.
3: I and I feel badly to this day that I didn't get to go, but that was I was right on the heels of COVID and. Yeah, I, I, w- I was done.
2: He's got an amazing song. His name is Tyler Gould. We're going to hear from him, his experience with drugs, American Idol, and recovery. That's coming up right next here on KSL.
0: I'm Dave Colley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home.
2: Hey, welcome back to Project Recovery. I am Casey Scott. That is Dr. Matt Woolley. He's a clinical psychologist. Our guest today is Tyler Gould. Tyler, how are you, man? Doing
1: wonderful. Casey, how are you this morning?
2: All right, Tyler, uh, we teased a little bit about you uh, before we take, took the break, uh, but let's just really before we get into your story, you spent some time with the American Idol people.
1: Yeah, it was a, a little a little short visit with them, and it, I was back in 2007. I was 15 years old, and that was kind of my first um, my first try at getting into some bigger realms of music and went through three rounds there, which was just awesome. Awesome experience.
2: And, and you brought your guitar today. We're going to hear a song you, you wrote. It's called uh, Tainted. Yes, sir. Uh, and it's a pretty amazing song. I sent it to you guys earlier yeah. so you could get a taste uh, of it. But bit. before we get to the music and the American Island and all that, where does the story of Tyler Gould begin?
1: Awesome. Yeah, so I uh, was born in Bellevue, Washington, just out of Seattle. Um, and I grew up in Orem, but my family is – originally from Hawaii, and uh, got to spend some time down there as well. But grew up here in Orem, you know, a pretty uh, typical Utah childhood, I'd say. Had a great childhood, awesome parents. Grew up LDS, um, played sports, football, baseball, became a swimmer later on, and just, you know, I had an awesome childhood. That's kind of where where it all got started. How many siblings? I had two sisters. Um, one, unfortunately, passed away a few years ago. Um, but I had a little sister, and I have a little sister and an older sister. Who uh, Her name's Chelsea. She passed away now. So. I'm
2: so sorry for your
1: loss. Um,
2: where does your story begin? I mean, uh, did, were you uh, you said you had a pretty good
3: upbringing, a uh, pretty normal high school experience. Did you ever dabble in? Well, you said you were raised LDS, Church of Jesus Christ, the Mormons, right? Yeah. Um, and so that would mean in your household, I'm assuming, parents didn't drink or use drugs. No, absolutely not. I had...
1: Um, I had family members, you know, uncles and things like that, that I knew did do those types of things. Um, but I was never around it. Uh, I, you know, my parents kind of tried to keep us from those types of scenarios. Um, what were, what would they tell you about those kind of scenarios? Um, they, I, the best way to describe it would be that they'd give us warning. You know what I mean? I had a few uncles that um, maybe their lives weren't always put together in in the best ways, you know, and they'd kind of... Uh, They would share that the reason why that's happening is a lot due to, you know, drinking or or drugs or those types of things. And I think it was really important for me that my parents never um, belittled them in any way, never put them down, never made it sound like they were less than, but that the decisions that they were making led to them um, having – um,
3: trials? hard time. Yeah. Trials. Thank you. I was thinking for the word. Well, that's pretty great because I think most parents are kind of like, Hey, you don't want to end up like uncle Frank, you yeah. know, and and they do kind of put the family member down, but it sounds like in your family that they showed respect, but also maybe pointed out the reality of drugs and alcohol are taking a toll in this family member's life. Is that, that's pretty great.
1: Yeah, it, it was awesome. And you know, I've been blessed and fortunate to uh, have an uncle that now is, um, Oh, I want to say probably 14 or maybe 15 years sober now. Yeah. Um, and he works at Cirque Lodge up there and helps oh. so many people in, in yeah. the recovery community. So it's just awesome to have that example. He's helped me tremendously many times. So, uh, you know, it's, it's good to have family that has been able to support me through everything.
2: So how much sober time do you have under your belt right now? Uh, just a little over two years. Congratulations. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, it's been just been awesome, man. But where does your story of
2: addiction begin?
1: So I'd say about 15 years old. Um, at 15, I got kicked out of school and I, um, I actually was not using any drugs, but I decided that I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I had an old ADD medication sitting around. And I thought, Hey, you know, someone told me that those were worth a little bit of money. And I think that was my first addiction, a little bit was kind of that rush of being sneaky and uh, trying to make a little money. Well,
3: uh, so someone you, told you, somebody and been I had diagnosed with ADHD and had been prescribed medicine and it was, hadn't been taking it. So it's just kind of sitting around. Well, they changed my dose, right? So oh, then it was okay. just
1: sitting in the, in the right. cupboards and, uh, I, I was watching Get Rich or Die Trying, I think, as 50 Cent movie that came out. Yeah. I thought, oh man, that's so cool. You know, be 50 I'm gonna make, cent some, here in Orem, make Utah. some money. And I had a I had a high school girlfriend. Christmas was coming up. Man, I gotta make some money so I can get this girl a present, you know? And, um, that kind of, I think started that snowball effect. Well, then I got, they booted me out of school and I was home doing packets, which is really where I fell in love with playing guitar is when I had that time at home. And, um, I really hadn't used any drugs, hadn't even thought about using drugs at that time um, and just really got close with my family during that period. But it was right after they gave me a plea in abeyance on the charges that they gave me because I hadn't ever been in trouble and I I didn't have any drugs in my system.
2: So for those of you who don't know, a plea in abeyance means it's like if you don't do anything in the next six months, we'll forget this ever happened. But if you mess up, we're going to give you these new charges, and we're going to bring back
1: these old charges.
3: Yeah, they really stick it to you if you mess up. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So it was like two days after that ended, I had some friends I was hanging out with that they wanted to try smoking weed for the first time. Someone got some weed, and we decided to try that, right? And right after that, I just I think anybody that's uh, an addict understands that feeling of the first time where there was just like a little shift in, in the way that I thought the things that i wanted to do and then you know the next weekend it was like we added a little bit of alcohol in there so it was about 15 years old where that um that chase i guess i would call it the the chase for a high kind of began i want to
2: stop you before we get more into your uh, uh you know your abuse and you know, the chase if you will but what he said something very interesting before he did this he goes that was my first
3: addiction was into the lifestyle or yeah. into
2: the money right. or into right. I was the- just,
3: I'm laughing a little bit cuz I'm I'm realizing uh you're our first guest who's ever gotten busted for selling drugs before he ever used drugs
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm hoping that my wife doesn't get mad at me for divulging that little part of my story <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think I think that's that is a very insightful Thing you said that Casey's yeah. picking up on that—that that there was actually a uh, there was something enticing, that like that whole like being well, it's mystical, being it's kind magical, of a, a little it's, gangster, yeah, and, and and doing something cool like that, doing and being something sneaky, that I shouldn't be doing, subverting yeah. the law, breaking the rules, right? I well, mean, and it
1: started before even just like the money thing. I had some friends that lived right ar- around my house, you know, right around the corner, who were non-members, and they got to go snowboarding every Sunday. You know, and they were out doing all this stuff on Sundays and I was like, "Mom, dad, they've invited me to go. I want to go." They wouldn't let me do that, right? And I just was like, "I'm missing out on some things and this um something in my head or my uncles would come into town and they'd all go stay up at my uncle's cabin, but and I wanted to go with some of my cousins that were, you know, they were 10 or 12 years older than me, sure, but I still wanted to go. I'm like, "Why can't I go be a part of that?" And cuz they're probably drinking up there or whatever, you know, and um my parents Trying to protect me from being around that stuff, you know, at that age. But I always had this desire to want to do that. And I loved to be sneaky. I mean, you ask, ask my mom or dad, I was always doing little sneaky things. And they always caught me, always. My mom's parents look do. at me yeah. and know <laughs> that I'm doing something, you know? Just, yeah. She's still that way. Like, I could never hide anything from my mom. My wife's even better at catching me. <laughs> so, so,
2: two days after you end your plea in abeyance for the drug charges where you weren't actually selling drugs, but, anyways, um, you smoke weed. You said your first time you felt it, uh, something shifted in your body, the way you think, the way you felt, and what you wanted. The next week, you added a little alcohol, and it sounded like after that it was some kind of just off to the races.
1: Yeah, after that it was like I dove head first into the lifestyle. Um, you know everything that they kind of thought I was doing that I got in trouble for started to become more of a reality. You know, I I was doing all these things that people already had assumed that I was doing. And I think because there was that assumption that, oh, this kid probably is doing that stuff because you heard what happened, it was easy for me to just be like, well, I'll just embrace it. I mean, that's already kind of the label, right? I mean, yeah, I'll just embrace it full-heartedly. And when you're that age, there's something cool about being the bad boy, right? Yeah, of course. And, you know, it got to a point where my parents told me, You know, um, I'm breaking all the house rules that you can imagine, right? Um, Having my girlfriend over there, you know, past the time that she's supposed to be or whatever it is, you know, having, I'm sure they knew that I had, you know, substances in the home. And my dad and me started to argue a lot more. I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to do that. And he kind of got to a point where he said, and and I love him for it because he was definitely trying to help me. And he told me, you know, we've got a standard that we live by in this home and you need to abide by that while you live in this house. And I said, well, I don't think I can do that. So I don't think I can live here. And he was like, well, you know, that's your decision. And I don't think he ever thought that you'd go I was it. stubborn enough. Right. And so I took off, man, I took off and it was not for very long. At first I went and kind of hung out at some friends houses or whatever. And then, um, when I had my first car, uh, it was a, I can't remember what year. It was probably a 2001 uh, Mazda 626. I ended up sleeping in that thing for a pretty good amount of time, man, and had a little camp stove and a gym pass. I would go shower and, and whatnot. and Eventually, I, uh, I ended up moving in with my uncle. It got a little bit too cold. But the back of that car, man, I, I birthed a lot of my songs and, and a lot of uh, you know, who, I, who I became over time.
3: How old were you when you said, okay, Dad, and you left? I was 16, um, 16 years old. And, and how did you feel like, 17. like in retrospect, obviously you recognize your dad was trying to help you and you love him for his efforts, uh, which I think is a very, you know, that definitely shows you process that experience and, uh, and whatnot. But, uh, how did you feel at the time? Like when your dad's coming down with all these rules and stuff?
1: Um, I had watched him help my uncles through numerous things, right? Um, and always seemed to be supporting them and trying to do that. And although I know now in hindsight that he was trying to do the same thing to me, and I wouldn't allow him to help me, right? Because I just didn't want to listen to anybody. Um, at the moment, I felt like, what the heck, Dad? You know, or Mom? What? You guys can support them in this, and but you can't. You can't support me. You can't accept me for who I am. This is who I am. You know, and thought my whole identity was wrapped into that those behaviors when, you know, in reality, that's not the case, but, um, I don't think I ever blamed them, um, or was upset or angry with them, but I had a lack of understanding. What was the hardest for me is why am I this way? But they can't accept that. Right. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that I was blaming them for anything. I had siblings at the home, you know, they're trying to protect them and their standard of living. And, um, Ultimately, they were just trying to help me, you know, but it was tough. It was tough for a little bit. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And part of that, I think we can chalk up to being, you know, middle middle teens, you know, you're 16. Uh, it's kind of a rebellious, don't tell me what to do kind of time. It also sounds like maybe there was an aspect just of your personality. You, like you said, you love to be sneaky, love to push the limits, all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's sort of a perfect storm for buttonheads with a parent. And, yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And we get along great now. I mean- and uh, we have for a lot of years, you know, even through some of my uh, lowest points of addiction, they've always been right there to support me. So you move in with your uncle. Yep. How's that go? Um, it, was, it was a lot of fun for me. I was living right up at Provo Canyon on the river, you know <laughs> what I mean, right next to that rock that everybody swims at. Um, but he was a huge support for me, you know, somebody that I could lean on. And he knew that, um, you know, we were breaking his rules probably too a lot of the time. But at that point, it wasn't really – we weren't doing anything crazy per se, right? So um, just I, – I guess the kids
2: would be social drinking, social yeah, using. Yeah, absolutely. At that point, it hadn't got its claws into
1: you yet. Um, I think it had its claws in me because I was always – I was always the one that was going to go grab another beer or you know, go grab a little more weed. And everybody else seemed like they were kind of at their level and they were content. Um But I never really felt like I had that stopping point. You know, it was just kind of like until it was time to go to bed, or because I got put to bed. You know what I mean? Yeah, Um, that was the stop point for me, and it was just kind of always. always What was happening with
3: school at that time? High school.
1: I was trying to pretend like I was going to school, but it was it was not happening. You know, I was doing my best, but my uncle. When I moved in with my uncle, and I think him and my dad probably decided that I needed, if I wanted to um, act like an adult, then it was time to be an adult. And so, um, I think it was like 300 bucks a month. I had to pay for rent and I had a job, you know, and, um, that's a little steep though for a
3: high school kid back in those days.
4: Yeah. I
1: think the plan was, I'm going to send him home and I, I'm pretty sure that my, uh, my uncle ended up,
3: I can't remember exactly.
1: I'm sure he ended up lowering it and just, you know, to help me out or whatever. But, but
2: the plan probably was that he's not going to be able to come up with put the <coughs> pressure me. on him. Yeah, 300 bucks. Exactly. He's going to have to put his tail between his legs and
1: come and back. home. Yep. Well, instead, I just ended up leaving school. Um, which, you know, I, I ended up going back and getting my GED, which I'm grateful for, so that I could, um, you know, pursue some uh, college courses and things like that. But um, ultimately, that's what it ended up leading to is just – I'm falling more and more behind and it just wasn't worth it for me. I you know, I stopped I was, in high school primarily I just I played baseball for a while and I swam. I became a swimmer and um it was actually not not a bad swimmer. I was pretty good at that, but um it just got to the point where I like I wasn't able to go to practice. I wasn't doing anything, you know, I just
3: um got too hard to keep up. And do you was that just a general rebellion that was causing that or was this do you think part of the drinking and smoking and all that?
1: It was both. It was both for sure. Um, I got to a point where I had—I was working at a sandwich shop called The Italian Place. Love that place still. Um, but I also – my dad had a, a metal fabrication business at that time and he let me come into work for him, um, which ended up being a huge blessing and, and a, a great place to learn a lot of things. Um, but I started making an okay – you know, amount of amount of money, especially for 16, 17 years old at that, by that point. Um, and I thought, man, pff, school, what for, man? And then uh, I was like, right, right around the time I was about to turn 18, I found out some friends were going to move out to California to sell alarm systems. And uh, I decided, oh, I'm going to go do that too.
3: Ah, the lure of summer sales. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. I think Knock, eek, door to door. Yep.
1: I think a lot of people you know have uh, have tried that,
2: <laughs> so you find yourself moving to California with a bunch of buddies,
1: yep, and they were still in school, so I knew one of their older brothers that was out there already, and um, they had already started working, and i wasn 't in school, so I figured i 'm going to go out ahead of them right a few weeks let 's
2: jump into that after we take a break that 's right you 're listening to Project Recovery. This is a story from Tyler Gold. So you're headed to California. Yep. And uh, you're gonna go out two weeks in front of your friends with some older 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 kids, I guess.
1: Yep. Well and you know, keep in mind I'm going to California to Corona, California. Yeah. So in my head I'm thinking California man, I'm be right on the beach. This is gonna be so good and you know, it's gonna be so much fun. Sontans and bikinis. Yeah. I get out there and corona is not like that at all, if anyone's <laughs> ever been to Corona, California. Right, right, right. <laughs> and I'm like, what is this? You know, and uh but I had a lot of fun and everybody's older, you know, people are having parties and drinking and, and doing whatever. Long story short is the first night I'm there, I get into my new apartment. There's no sheets on the bed. There's no, you know, nothing. They told us that they provided an apartment that was furnished, right? So I'm thinking stuff's going to be there and that's not the case. And immediately I'm calling my dad. I already didn't have enough money, right? That I don't got sheets. I don't got anything. And I'm thinking, what did I just do? dude? I'm over my head. I'm over my head. And, uh, you know, what ends up happening is I end up hanging out with the wrong people out there doing dumb things and I end up getting fired about three weeks later. And, um, my dad reached out to a friend. I got another job and I ended up going to Pennsylvania working for APX, which is now Vivint. Right. And, um, ended up finding a little bit of success out there, then came home and had a little bit of money and too much time on my hands. And then everything just started back over. And then it just got, and it got worse and it got a lot worse.
3: Got worse in what sense? Like what was, what was not going
1: um, on? I think like I dabbled with some of the harder substances
3: prior to that, just here and there. But, um. Were you introduced to something for the first time out in Corona? Like, like did you start yeah, using Yeah, I got any- into the
1: pain pills, pain pills. And, um, and I had gotten into it a little bit before that, but it got, it's hooks in me a little bit more then, and I didn't really even understand that it, at that, that point that it kind of had me. Um, but then when I got home from that, that, uh, experience selling, I got involved with just another group of friends and we all kind of, there was a few of us that kind of wanted to start trying new things. Right. And then we met some people that were already doing those things. And I moved into a house with a buddy, um, who's actually the co-writer of Tainted. Um, his name is Madison Mon and the house that we lived in which would have been about two thousand and twelve um really became a place that created a monster for me um, it just got out of hand We had a lot of fun we had a recording studio in there, played a ton of music you know but um
3: what were the what were the drugs that were floating around that
1: house uh you name it I mean everything meth heroin cocaine i mean it just and I started doing some of those things in, in secret where I got into doing, you know, other things behind some of my roommates' backs or whatever, you know. And it just kept spiraling and kept spiraling to the point where it strained my family relationships. It wrecked um, relationships with friends, romantic relationships, um, which I'm grateful for those things ending and, and putting me into a position where I, to get me to where I'm at now. Um, to you know i think seven different times in and out of treatment centers um so you went so you've been to treatment center seven times seven times i think i've probably finished maybe three times
2: what 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 brought you to your first treatment center tell me about that scenario
1: so i was at a point where um some things in my life had fallen apart the situation that i was in just kind of crumbled i had a job and i did something stupid i got fired and that Created a ripple effect in my life. I'm just going to say,
3: what did you do? Now, I don't want you to share anything that you feel embarrassed sharing. No, no, no. It's fine. But I I know sometimes people just gloss over that, and it can be uh, an important part of the story.
1: I was getting sick, right? And I thought there was this person that came and paid part of a bill um, on an account, and we weren't going to close it out until they came and paid the rest. So there was just some cash sitting there, and it had been there for like two months. So I thought, okay, I get paid in like four days. I'm going to borrow some of this. You're you're getting dope sick. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to borrow some of this cash, and then I'm going to go get feeling better, get my fix, and then when I get paid, I'll just put it back.
3: It was your own personal payday loan.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, it just so happened that the next day, the manager decided to just close that account and write it off. So when he went to go get the cash, and it wasn't there... It, you know they started looking at the cameras and they started doing all these things, and I actually went and I got the money and I put it back and I said, "Hey, guys, I found it. It just fell behind the the change box. You just weren 't looking hard enough right and well, they saw the whole thing on camera <laughs> and uh, uh, nonetheless, <laughs> they let me go right so after that happened, some other things came out you know people um that were in, in my life at that time started finding out that I was doing Dumb things. I was just being a knucklehead. So, at that point, were you still just
2: on pain pills, or did you transition at at this point? It
1: had had graduated. So, when I was in that house, um, everything changed there. That's when I when I found you said the the house that
2: created a
3: monster. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm sensing that you're feeling a little hesitant to talk about that because I I we chatted for quite a while before we started. I can tell you're a really nice guy, a good person. I think it's probably hard to think about the things you did that hurt other people in your lives or the dishonest behaviors. Well, it's that, and
1: then you know, I've got, um, I've got kids now. I got stepkids that are older. They understand things. They know that I'm trying to be in the public eye, and that I'm pursuing those things. And some of those things are details that, like, I don't feel in a public setting are so important.
3: Right. Right. Um, and, but I mean, maybe they
1: are, and if they are, then. I can I can dive No, 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 I'm into not trying.
3: I'm just commenting on the fact that uh, for a lot of people that is one of the hardest parts of getting 100% good with yourself during uh, recovery is also reconciling how could I a really good person, a person who, you know, Feels positively towards others have done these things. It's it's hard, and, and I'm just I know Casey's struggled with that. I think everybody we've brought on the show struggled with that. It's for sure. it's tough, and I just want to commend you for actually having a hard time talking about it because that that kind of shows that that's that's not part of who you feel like you are anymore. That that, that shows sure growth. That was my only comment.
1: Well, you know? I appreciate that, and it's it's not that I'm I'm not ashamed of anything that I've done because it's brought me to where I'm at. That being said, I'm not ashamed of the actions that I've done, but I'm ashamed of the effect that it's had and the ways that I've wronged other people. I get that 100%. Um, Because it just is not, at my core, anything that I had done in the middle of the storm, I'll call it, um, wouldn't be something that I would even entertain the thought of today or in my sober mind. It's yeah. just not a part of my, um, my DNA. But when anybody that's used uh, substances before, especially some of the little more gripping ones, they know that that part of your DNA gets bypassed a little bit. That moral compass gets
3: sure. gets glossed over. Well, I like what you've said a couple of times, and that is that you don't regret those things because they brought you to where you are today. And, and that's one of the most healthiest, most healthiest yeah uh, that was it, I don't failed. look to me for granted yeah, I think I got a B plus and <laughs> yeah. you know, a C in English or something but um, it, it's a it's such a healthy place to keep your focus because uh, regretting the past I mean what can we do about it right and people who focus on the past have a lot more depression but being in the present and accepting that hey maybe I'm in this good place because I grew from some of those bad experiences
1: well not only that but I mean it's connected me with look this is how I met met Casey you know, mm-hmm. This is how I right. met you is because of those experiences. And I've always felt this way that not only just through my music, but part of my personal, um, I guess, goal and mission in life is to be able to grab on to some light that's out there in the universe and be able to take that into places that needs it the most. And I don't think I would be able to do that just by – if it would have been just me observing Some of my family members struggle through those types of things or my friends struggle through those types of things because I wouldn't fully understand that pain and that struggle and that hurt. And I wouldn't fully understand what it's like to be tainted. And that's where the name of that song came from is from feeling that I was just a little bit different than especially in this in the community that I grew up in. Right.
2: So let's not focus on the seven rehabs. Let's focus on what you learned from each and every one of those rehabs. Because, you know, we've had people in here that have been to three, five, six, I think the record is 12. Um, you know, but every time they go, I learned something every time. I wasn't ready for the message or I wasn't ready to, you know, to start my road to recovery, but I did learn something in there. So I'm assuming you learned something in all those recoveries.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'd say the first couple, um, was uh, I only went because my parents agreed to come and bail me out of jail if I would go get help, right? <laughs> Which is that's, it's a that's pretty, pretty common, common story. story. Yeah, yeah, everybody. And, yeah. and I did not want to be in jail. You know, I don't think anybody does. Um, and so that was what got me there. And I left like two weeks later, right? And then I went back and then I did the same thing again. And finally, I said, I think the only way I'm going to be able to do this is if I get out of state. And, um, that it's was too easy just of an to excuse. run home,
3: right? Because you got friends and people around. Absolutely.
1: And some of that was probably an excuse to be able to go somewhere new. I love to travel. I love going new places. and uh, I, But each time I did learn something new. Not only did I connect with more people um, and learn that um, that connection is so important. Uh, what I really learned, I think, the most at first was that my family was not going to give up on me. And I've been super blessed to to have that because I know a lot of people do not. And I've, you know, I've seen that um, and witnessed that is people just don't have that support. But that was the first thing I learned. And the, the next thing I learned is that um, I could do life sober. You know, it, it, it was really hard concept to grasp, but I kind of started to realize that I could do it. Right. You could
2: make the music. You could have the fun. You could, yep. you, you know what I mean? That was for me, that was one of the toughest blocks for me to, to, to climb was, what does sober life look like? Because I'm not going to lie. I had a lot of fun partying and, I, and, and I thought, well, I'm never going to have fun anymore. That's what sobriety before I got sober meant to me. I'm not going to have any fun mm-hmm. anymore.
3: Yeah, because we even use that word like, you know, for an attitude, like a sober attitude is somebody who's not a lot of fun to hang around with. Right? Yeah. 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 And so
2: I was like, what, you mean you guys for fun? Oh, okay, cool. And so, but you found out you could do it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. and But the thing that I think kept pulling me back in every time is that I had my friends. And you know some of those friends, I'm like, these are my brothers, man. We've been through hell and high water together. And I can't just walk away from them. What kind of
2: friend would I be if I just walk away
1: absolutely. from them? Absolutely. I can't start treating them differently because I hate it when people do that to me because I, I struggle with things or whatever it might be, right? And um, that, that was really hard for me to and still is hard for me. Um but I've learned that I just have to protect myself and I have things to me today that are more important. Um you know, I've I've been so lucky. So after all the rehabs, I was doing really well. I came home for a little bit and I, my plan was I'm going to Hawaii. I'm going to go to Hawaii, you know, going to go connect with my roots and I'm going to go see that place I'd never been. And um I thought, you know, this is what I'm going to do. I had a cousin that was living there, kind of reached out to her. She kind of thought, this is what you'd need to come down and do this. She ends up coming here for a young living thing and um, said, tells me, you know, why don't you come back? At the time, I was doing pretty good. I was drinking a little bit here and there, you know, but doing keeping things together pretty well. And uh, But I was going to go to Fiji with my brother-in-law's mom. Um to go help them do some stuff out there and just kind of get away, you know, for a little bit and kind of keep get some time under my belt, essentially, right? That kind of fell through. And uh, my cousin came about the same time that I found that out, and she said, why don't you come back to Hawaii with me? I said, okay, I got a little bit of money saved. Not a lot, but I got a little. And she's like, that's probably enough. Like, you can come stay with us for a while. I said, okay, perfect. I'm going. <laughs> so it was like the next week I was on a plane, and I was going to Hawaii, my plan was to really go down there and uh, connect with where my family's from, my dad's side, and to write music. I wrote a song back in high school called Simple Dreams. That was all, the plan to be my first album name was Simple Dreams. I thought, what a what better place could I ask for than Hawaii to be able to write a, uh, an album called Simple Dreams, right? So I stayed with my cousin for a little while, and then I uh, – I didn't want to get a job, right? I just wanted to be in the ocean all day and play my guitar on the beach. And so I ended up leaving there. And long story short, I spent about two years um, sleeping in a hammock in a banyan tree uh, with wow. my guitar. Wow. And uh was just, to be honest, was a beautiful experience for me. I think I always had that desire to kind of just live like that and to understand people from that point of view. And I kind of went there with initially the plan to see what it's like to live in a way that as Americans, we're not accustomed to so much. Not most of us anyway, there are definitely some that have that struggle, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to see life through that point of view. Um, You know, I lived in my car. I had done this, I had done that, but I had family here to bail me out. I had this, or I had that, you know, that kept me a little comfortable. I was like, I'm going to, get down in the nitty gritty and I got a little carried away, you know, and I started making bad decisions down there too. Um, but it just taught me so much. Um, I ended up getting a phone call from my sister that told me she had a dream with my grandpa who passed away like a day or two after I was born in the same hospital. And, uh, that in that dream, she, was told to tell me to just hang on, to not give up, to just hang on because things are going to work out in the way that you keep seeing them in your head. And it was really, um, an impactful phone call for me. And then I got another phone call a little bit later that's from my parents that said, uh, your sister Chelsea is, uh, wants to run a Airbnb in Vegas for Thanksgiving and we want you to come home. We're going to buy you a ticket.
3: Is she the and same sister that had the dream?
1: Yeah, same sister. And um, I said, okay, I'll come home. But here's the deal. I want a round-trip ticket because I'm coming back. This is where I want to be. This is what, you know. And I know I need to get out of this hole of being homeless. But this is where I want to set my roots down. And um, they said, okay, we'll get you a round-trip ticket. But just here's your flight. Make sure you get there, right? And I end up making it on the plane, barely. But I got there. And – uh yeah, I to Vegas and just immediately was greeted by my sisters and my parents all came to pick me up from the airport um, and was just almost overwhelming. I mean, it was just so good to be embraced and feel loved again from spending so much time just by myself, you know what I mean? Um, and not always alone, but essentially alone, you know, and sure. uh, then they kind of had a okay we're gonna sit him down we're gonna get his butt home home right and do you think this was kind of an intervention oh absolutely you know and i think my sister in a lot of ways i think she probably felt inspired to to set this up because i think she probably knew in the back of her mind that i'm not going to go home home right but if she could get me with them then maybe she could get me home right right
2: And we're going to find out what that looks like. Hang on. You're listening to Project Recovery. So your sister's job or thought was if I can get him to Vegas, I can get him home.
1: Yep. And they sat me down. They told me, dude, what are you doing? You had some time under your belt. You came home. You were working hard. You were keeping things together pretty well. And you just kind of gave up on it. You know, you just. Got too antsy. You went to Hawaii before we told you you should, and uh, you just kind of gave up on trying. And um, you know, I had every excuse that I could think of on why that wasn't the case. Um, but ultimately, I told him, "I think I'm ready to come home." My dad's like, "Well, I don't know if we're going to take you." <laughs> <laughs> you know, they set this all up, and they're yeah. like, "Yeah, I don't know." <laughs> like, you know, and and I don't blame him because. And I I don't know if that was the plan ever or if the plan was originally to even let me come home or if it was just to kind of see where I was at. But he told me, he goes, I don't know if we can do it again. You know, how many times have we brought you back home and have we helped you? And have you wronged us? You know, things go missing. You know, you're doing things in our house that are against our standards. You're bringing friends over there. You know, it makes... Your sisters that are at the house feel uneasy, you know, and, um, I don't know if we can do it, you know, and, and I don't, and I wasn't mad at that. And, you know, of course I'm like, well, it's not, it's not going to be like that this time. It's going to be different. You know, I'm going I'm to be better. And, um, and I came home and, um, I was a little bit better, you know, <laughs> uh, being in Hawaii gave me a lot of time away from opiates. Um, it gave me a lot of time away from opiates which was a huge blessing. And there was other things down there um, that kind of got their hooks in me. You know, the amphetamines and, and, and cocaine down there are a little bit more accessible, I would say. Um, and those got their hooks in me a little bit. But it seemed like, for whatever reason, I was able to manage that a little bit better. And I had a little bit different perspective when I came home. The problem was, is when I got home, one of my first phone calls was to some of my best buddies that I used to live with in Provo. And um, and I'm not blaming them because they tried so hard to, to keep those things away from me and did not do that. But it was me that was instigating that I wanted to get back into that, right? And I started to kind of just here and there. I was really cautious. I was really cautious at first because I knew. I just knew better. You know, I had been given enough tools through my stint set treatment centers and from my family and from therapists and counselors and mentors that I knew what I was doing was slippery. And um, then my sister, Chelsea, who was the one that arranged for me to come home in in a lot of ways, passed away and I just got shattered. I mean, it was just
3: devastating. And uh, can I ask, excuse me, can I ask what, caused her to pass away
1: she had a lot of health issues um all growing up that brought me really close with her um you know because at the same time that i was home in that junior high, high school age that i got kicked out of school she was home because she had health problems so we were both home together for over a year and that really brought us super close together um and you know my my little sister i have to say my little sister hannah She's always been the one that was like, I knew wasn't judging me or, or like mad at me. It was kind of like my little ride or die and supported me through so many things. And my older sister was the one that always caught me, always busted me, always (laughs) coming in the window, whatever it was. Um, but her health issues just, she had, I mean, three open heart surgeries. Um, and at one point was having like a hundred seizures a day. And then there was a lot of years that went by that she was doing really well and she had a little baby girl and was married and um she just slipped away one night wow. don't really know why don't really know what happened um and that devastated you and it just tore me up man it just I mean my whole family of course it was unexpected we had no idea um and and I kicked myself today because she she had an old macBook pro right that she told me she would give me and I could make a few payments to her for a few hundred bucks so that I had a, a machine to record music on. And um, I called her one night and she said, yeah, you can come by and get it. She barely had a voice. She's like, I've got the flu really bad. Could you just go to Target before you come over and get me like some soups and some cold medicine and maybe some Powerade? All right. I was like, yeah, no problem. this, I got you. So I went over to Target and for whatever reason, while I was there, I just felt like I'm going to buy a bunch of things like maybe, you know, my brother-in-law likes Reese's. I'm going to get him some candy or whatever, you know, get a whole bunch of ramen noodles and, you know, all this stuff. And I just kind of started loading up the and It wasn't a whole bunch because I didn't have a lot of money, but it was more than what she had like asked me to get. And I went over there and I called her. I said, Hey, I'm here. Her building was kind of secure. And so I called her, should I, you know, should I come up? And she's like, well, I'm so sick. I don't want you to get sick and baby's asleep and I'll just have Devin, which is my brother-in-law run it down to you. And I was like, okay, that's fine. And I'm waiting in the car and, and he brought me down to the laptop and told him I love him. And I, and I went home. Right. And that night she passed away. Oh. And I just, am like, man, I wish I would have gone upstairs. Maybe I would have noticed something, maybe this or that. Right. You play out all these different scenarios. Yeah. And, um, you know, as I went through that, I started to really kind of slide downhill. Um, And then at her funeral, I through her funeral, um, I ended up meeting my wife. So she ended up adding me on Facebook a few days after the funeral. Had seen me there. Was friends with someone that was really close with my sister. And she was close with my sister. Used to work together at a doctor's office. And um, we ended up going on a date. And at the date, she ends up telling me, so I have a confession. I knew your sister. And that's how you know, I kind of added you on Facebook. And when she added me, I just straight away messaged her. Because she was hot? She, she's beautiful, man. I mean, she's just so <laughs> hot and gorgeous, you know. And um, for whatever reason, I was just so intrigued, right? And, um, well, not for whatever reason. There's plenty of reasons. She's just gorgeous. And uh, we ended up going on a date, and we ended up spending a whole bunch of time together right after that. And as I started spending more time with her and less time with other people, I started to put a little more distance in some of those habits that I had picked back up, but that I, I was hurting man, you know, and, um, I end up just sliding back downhill, you know, and I, and it just, I get back into doing opiates and, um, she buses me, busted me, you know, we're starting to date pretty serious at this point, And she busts me, she calls my parents, you know, and here we go again. And I'm thinking every time they found this out, it's like, I'm going back to treatment. Yeah. Right. Well, my wife ends up getting me some help and, um, without having to go away to treatment. And, uh, I mean, really I have to give so much credit to her and my parents too. But I, I mean, she saved my life. She just didn't give up on me. You know, she, um, gave me just enough trust (laughs) to let me try and figure it out and gave me enough time to figure it out and gave me a few of the tools that I was just missing, you know? And, um, We've got a beautiful life now together. You know, I've got.
3: So you didn't go back to treatment, but I think it's interesting to know what you did do. Like she gave you trust and she was supportive, but were there was there more to it than that? Here's the biggest
1: difference for me in this time when I've gotten sober and every other time. The first thing is I was just so burnt out of the lifestyle, sick and tired of being sick and tired. Absolutely, I mean beyond right even when i started to slip up again i was like just in agony every time i'd slip because i'm like what am i doing dude i know better than this i just know better
2: and i don't really want this but it, i get it but
1: it's it's just burying other things that were going on you know and i think some of that was the other thing was to just face head on that that's who i was that i had problems with that and that was had been my coping mechanism for so many years and I had to learn some other things. So I dove heavier into my music and I dove heavier into my relationships and I I started working harder. You know what I mean? I got, instead of just working on music, I got a job, you know, and I, I started working. And um, I th- think the other thing that really was a huge shift is I started to see myself in a way that I felt, that I deserved more than what I was letting myself have. I stopped letting these labels and all this um, negative energy just hang on me and started remembering all the things that I envisioned while I was in Hawaii and all the plans that I had made and all these things and realizing that I'm supposed to do those things and I'm supposed to have those opportunities. And there's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with the things that I've done and it's just time to make a shift, right? And I... I tell people when I'm having hard days, you know, and, and little things here and there that that just keep keep me safe. And I surrounded myself with people that wanted to help me and that I could trust, and I let them help me. That was – that I think humility was the biggest thing that made that shift for me, was I just finally got humble, and I just finally started to listen a little bit.
3: Yeah. I think that's a big deal. Well, it represents a total – Shift in thinking about yourself, and uh, it. I think you use the word humility or humble, but I think it's also just kind of a new reality. Like you, you are, you know, we've said it. I say it all the time. Thoughts, feelings, behaviors, how you think about things, has a direct influence on how you feel, and those feelings determine our behaviors. Right? That's how we all live, and so that's all fine and good as long as the thought process is healthy and grounded. But right. when we're off base, you know, when we when we have the attic brain in in play when, when we have the rebellious brain in play, then we end up doing things that uh, aren't in anybody's best interest. And it sounds like through that relationship and the support that you were provided, probably also a culmination of being sick and tired of being sick and tired for a lot of years and all of those things, there was a real shift and you became a much more grounded person who was willing to say, well... I, I, I should reach out when I have a bad day, and I should be authentic and honest with people. And and that's brought you maybe more to a place of self-care than yeah. you had before.
2: Well, when you think about it, at 16, he was living in his car, told his parents he couldn't live up to their standards, he right, live right. in their house, and he was going
3: to go do it himself. I mean, and, we were all rebellious at 16, but I wanted to live in my bed. Yeah, and then he <laughs> followed that
2: throughout you know, the next 15 years. Where he would, you know, live two years by himself.
3: Well, in I'm, Hawaii. I'm still processing the fact that you slept in a hammock for two years. Like, I mean, it was Hawaii. It wasn't all the setup. Was, I'm it, telling you. Yeah, it was, sounds pretty nice. I had
1: a hammock. I had a shower head strung up on a hose up in a banyan tree with a little plastic pallet. I'd boil my water in a bucket and pull it up there on a pulley. I mean, I had a hot shower every day, man. It was yeah. You, was, you know I had how to a, live. I had to set
3: up. But, but it took you. It took takes a toll on a person after a oh, while. Yeah, That's, yeah. It was just kind of only fun for about un- three weeks. <laughs> unfocused. <laughs> living is exhausting right?
2: and so you dove back in your music you got yourself a job you got married and recently you just brought a little baby girl into the world
1: absolutely so first i had the opportunity to be a stepdad which has just been a huge blessing um and then yeah i got seven about seven weeks ago i gotta bring well, a little girl into the world yeah. yeah that's exciting and it's uh been a whole new thing I, someone asked me last night um how's being how's being a dad and having a new baby i said well i'm just trying to learn how to juggle yeah you know yeah yeah
2: <laughs> let me ask you this um you know in recovery and you've been to seven treatment centers so you know a big thing they talk about is your aftercare yep so what does your aftercare
1: look like how do you plan on staying on this sober road you know um it's funny you ask that question because what i was taught in treatment to go to the meetings and to do all those things, I totally agree with. I think if that's what helps you, absolutely do those things. You know, but I think you really have to find what works for you. To be perfectly honest, that that path, the typical path for me, wasn't working. And maybe I'm a unique case, and I don't think that that's the case. I just think that I found people that I could get the same exact thing that I was getting at meetings from at my home life from people that I connect with, from relationships that I have. It's more like I've put myself in a position where I can always be at a meeting if I need to with a phone call, you know? And and um, and I think that people have to, you have to really dig deep, I think, and find what is going to work for you. What What makes you fulfilled? What brings you joy? What makes you feel like you're fulfilling your purpose in life? And for me, grabbing onto my purpose that I feel like I was put on this earth to do changed a lot of things. And that wasn't just my music and what I wanted to do with that. That was being a family man. That was getting married. That was, you know, trying to be the best possible man that I could be. And I still am learning that constantly. And I still have shortcomings and I still slip up. But I don't let them derail me from my – My, um, my dailies, you know, as we call it, um, I'm a big meditation guy and, uh, I, you know, I think maybe it'll benefit some people out there. So I'll share what I do. There's a meditation called the I am meditation by a man named Dr. Wayne Dyer. And I haven't been as good about doing it every day, but I try to do it at least a few times a week while I'm at work, while I'm in bed. Um, it's been a really powerful tool for me. Um, meditation has changed everything for me. Um, And I still have a hard time sometimes disconnecting from my own personal uh, agendas to take the time to tune into other people's agendas. And I think that that's an important piece too is, is um, an aspect of service. Um, Whatever that looks like for you, it doesn't have to be going to the soup kitchen or doing this or doing that. But I think that's a huge part for me. I, think when I got started getting sober, one of the biggest things that put me into that position to be ready to do that is while living homelessly, there were so many people I wanted to help that had been living like that for most of their lives. Right. And, um, and I didn't have hardly any money or I'd have to ask my dad, dad, can you send me some money so I can eat and i up giving half that food away. (laughs) My dad gets so mad. I'm sending you that money for you. But it always came back to me, always came back to me. You know, and um, I, I made it a point to help those people. I, And some of the ways that I could serve were just playing guitar on the beach some days with people that were ignored and neglected by everyday society, that were looked down upon, that were shamed because they had mental health issues or addiction issues or they smelled bad or whatever it may be. I sat with them every day, all day, and I'd sit there and I'd play guitar, and there was a kid that – his name was Justin – Came over to listen to me play one day, and I love playing Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd. It's, this, it's a song that my uncle used to play, and um, and I play that song often for any of the family and friends that I've lost, right? And I'm playing that one day, and I, and I look out the corner of my eye, and this kid's just bawling. and um, And I just didn't stop. I just kept going, and then I went right into another song. And he just came up to me after and just gave me a big hug. He said, I really needed that today. I just really needed to feel that light today
2: that's awesome and it sounds like music's been a big part of your recovery uh, if people want to find out more about your music uh tyler where do they go
1: so uh facebook is probably the best one that i'm good at posting things on upcoming events and stuff like that so it's facebook.com slash tyler gould music that's tyler g-o-u-l-d music um I'm also on Spotify, iTunes, all those things. I've got one track out right now, and I've got more coming on the way. Um, but that's where you can find me. You can also visit tyler
3: gouldcom Awesome. Dr. Matt, what do you think about Tyler's story? Oh, it's wonderful. I mean, uh, I think it emphasizes the importance of family. And so I have a question. And the question is, do you feel like uh, your sister's dream about your grandfather has come true in your life? I think every day um,
1: my family members that have passed on and, and others come in a form of angels or whatever you guys want to call them um, to guide me. I'm a firm believer that there's other forces out there beyond our understanding and that they, I have to be willing to take the action. But if you listen to the nudge, it's there. And uh, and I feel her influence on me every day without a doubt. Like, Without a doubt, I can say that I know that she's had a a part in this. I mean, my life is completely flipped around in more ways than I could ever imagine. I mean, everything that I've ever dreamt about, all the things that I've ever desired have started to come true. And I don't say that in a way to brag or to um, puff my chest out in any way, but to just let other people know that it's there for the taking. But you have to let your mind and your whole soul See it first. You've got to let your mind go there and believe it fullheartedly, And those things will start to – and you have to recognize when you're given a little puzzle piece to get you to that next step. At least I have to. And I can only speak from my experience. But there's so many times that it's like the most minor little thing from like – with for music for me, right? My wife talked me into going to an open mic night one night and then walking across the street to a record shop And I ended up playing there, and I ended up meeting somebody that's made everything come true just from walking into a record shop called Platinum Sports and Music Memorabilia down in Provo. I mean, the person that I met there changed my entire life in the course of my career, and in many personal ways, too. Uh, And you just have to be willing to listen, I think.
3: I love that. Listen to the nudge. I think that's a good thing. That should be the
1: title of your next album. There you go. That's That's a good idea. And just before we get... Going, I think the other thing is really take the time to care and and listen to other people that need help. Don't be afraid to reach out and help someone because I think anybody that has a little bit of light in their heart, I think that their purpose is to carry that light into dark places that don't get it. And to let, even if you know that that person maybe never is going to do anything that you advise them to do, even if you know they're going to spend that dollar on something stupid, sometimes that stupid thing is the only thing that keeps that person from killing themselves that day or from just being in absolute agony and i think that, that that that's why people are here we're here to help one another get to wherever it is that we're supposed to be and i think if you're not doing that then you're not going to be where you need to be and i and i also think that you have to take the time to make sure that your your house is in order you know if if your house is not in order then You're not going to be able to help anybody else. And and I just think that helping other people, whatever that looks like, is a huge key of not only being sober, but just being happy and feeling fulfilled in life.
2: I love that. We often say uh, you can't fill other people's cup if your cup's empty. True. True. Tyler, thank you for stopping by. We do appreciate it. Uh, Stick around because we're going to release one of his songs right here on the feed. You're listening to Project Recovery, brought to you by our friends at KnowYourScript.org. And don't forget, Project Recovery is what, Dr. Matt?
3: It's a KSL podcast.
2: Amen.
1: All right. How's it going, everybody? My name's Tyler Gould. I'm about to play an original song for you called Tainted, which was written by myself and a friend of mine named Madison Maughan as we struggled through addiction and our own vices, and is for those that feel that they struggle with the same things, I just want you guys to know that you're not alone. This one's called Tainted. I hope you enjoy.
4: Got a ways to go And you spent your whole life Digging yourself a hole well, I climb like you climb those walls now Like I can't get out And it sure can feel like Something's holding you down In my tainted By the things in my past? tainted yeah, yeah, yeah am I tainted are you tainted are we tainted man tainted by the things of my past now why would you go and do the same as I cause it's no life you get high just to get by, but I found myself doing it most of the time. I ruined my life with a bench brick. Think I've my lesson when I lost my uncle to the same. I was the same old oh, game. The scars on my arms rip her apart. And she can't sleep, cause I can't sleep. And she knows that I've been coming out. Hard. I kick and I push, go back to my bush. And there's no the limit to the things that I push. It's yes, on my own. But I love this stuff that I'm on. Well, come on, son all echoes in my thoughts. Well, I'm tainted by the things in my place. Tainted. Yeah. Happy! My piss.
1: If you guys like what you heard Please be sure to go and check me out On YouTube, Facebook Or wherever you listen to your music It's there Again, my name is Tyler Gould That's G-O-U-L-D And that song is called Tainted Thank you guys and have a wonderful day
0: KSL does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on the program. Reliance on any information provided on the program is solely at your own risk. I'm Dave Colley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985.